Throughout history, legendary tales have been spun about the magical creature, the unicorn. Elusive, mysterious, the unicorn appears in moments of need to shed its own light upon those that witness it. Then, just as quickly, it vanishes without so much as a trace. Today, we use unicorn to refer to a business valued at $1 billion or more. And while such success is a rare thing, perhaps the term unicorn might also be applied to the people who help make the success a possibility. Perhaps the real unicorns are not fantastic horned creatures that exist through magic, but maybe the real unicorns are the people who enter the world seemingly to make the impossible possible. Those people who leave a lasting impact on those around them and the ones that find a way to make a permanent mark on the world. And when their miracle is completed, they leave an unfillable void for those that they leave behind. This is Zero to Unicorn. In our last episode, we learned that Mike Kading had an epiphany, that the significant change he wanted to make in the world was possible to achieve by working at the company his father, Ed Kading, founded, Kason, which was short for Kading and Son. It would become Norhart, and for years, Mike and his wife, Alyssa, and Ed would work together to make Norhart successful. We return to the story with multiple building projects underway as Ed begins to undergo a personal change. We always call the last 30 days of a building project Hell Month. We were supposed to open September 1st, and it was uh, in July, and he seemed, he was always so tired. This is Brenda, Ed's wife. He had been that way for a number of months. I, you know, I thought, okay, it's stress, whatever. And then one Friday, he had been working. He'd, I think he'd been with Mike at the office, and then he came home, and he went to take a nap right away, and I'm thinking, okay. And uh, then Mike called me a little while later. He said, something's wrong. I remember getting a call. This is Mike, one of Ed's and Brenda's sons and the CEO of Norhart. From the bank, who said that our checks might be bouncing to employees. And that just didn't seem right. We, that never happened with us. And Ed always took care of that. And, you know, he was, he was very, very, very good with numbers. And he would, never, he would never mess up. He never had. My dad was always in charge of the finances and making sure the bank accounts had the cash that they needed. But this account didn't. And so... We started racing around, digging in to try to figure out what was going on. And we found out that my dad had actually put the money into the wrong account. Well, easy fix. We could just switch that over. And so uh, Mike went to the bank and got it all figured out. And Ed went in. He went back into town then. And, and he had to write a check. And Mike said he couldn't remember how to write a check. Didn't, couldn't, he told Mike, here you write it. So my dad came into the office and we sat down just to make the payment transfer from one account to the other so that we could pay our employees just the way we've always have done. And we just had to write a check to make that transfer. And when I handed the checkbook to my dad, 
he went to write in the payment amount and the bank account name and even sign it. And he just wasn't able to do that. And so I grabbed the checkbook, I filled out the information myself just to get us moving and pass us, but I, I knew something was wrong. And we got everything squared away with the bank. But we knew something was wrong. That night we went to my parents' house and my dad was quiet. And he seemed to say everything was fine, but he just he just seemed quiet. We watched a few, a little bit of TV together, and then we went home back to, um, to bed. Next morning he got up and he went to the gym, as was the normal routine. And the, the, the trainer called me, the, he works with, she called me, said, something's wrong with Ed, he's not right. And he couldn't find his keys and he was just very confused and she was gonna drive him home and he said, no, no, I can do it. So he drove home, she followed him and he came in and he, he um, went and laid down and I went and talked to him and he was, it was like he'd had a stroke and that's basically what had happened. He, he, his words were jumbled and I said, we gotta go to the hospital. He goes, no, we'll wait till Monday. I think it, no. The next morning, I got a frantic call from my mom saying that something wasn't right and that she thought we needed to take my dad to the hospital, but he wasn't willing to go. So I raced over uh, to my, uh, my mom's house, my parents' house, and got there and my dad wasn't speaking coherently. Um, his walk was a little bit off. And it just became immediately clear that, that something was seriously wrong. I, um, I pleaded with him. And we need to go to the hospital. We need to go to the hospital. We need to go to the hospital. And eventually he came around with me pleading with him. And at this point I'm almost in tears. And I remember walking away and walking into my parents' kitchen pantry and just shutting the door and just crying. Uh, it was tough for me. This is Lucas, Ed's youngest son. Yeah, I was taken very by surprise. I think I was out playing tennis that day with a friend and I just came to a phone call. My brother's like, I forget the exact words, but... Um, yeah, he he uh, basically shared the news with me, and I was uh, kind of surprised at first. Like, I mean, I thought maybe it was nothing big. I think I just he didn't say exactly there was a stroke. I think he just said they were going to the hospital, and uh, and I was really surprised. <laughs> I knew, I knew in my gut that this may be the last moment that I ever really get to see him as who he, who he was. We got, we got him dressed and off to the car and my mom and my dad raced off to the hospital. I took him to the local hospital and they did some testing and 
they could see there was a mass in his brain. And they said, well, we're going to send him down to the University of Minnesota. And I remember hearing them say, the ambulance drivers saying, uh, should we go down with the lights on? Or, and, and the doctor saying, no, it's okay, it's Saturday. Uh, there's much traffic and he's stable. So they took him down and I followed, a friend drove me down there shortly after, I wasn't too long after, and as I was walking into the hospital, um, they, were, they were running down the hall to catch me to sign papers to have brain surgery done because his brain was bleeding at that point. And so they had to do emergency brain surgery right away. And um, from that point on, he was, he was never the same. He made it through the surgery. They took out a mass. It was determined that it was glioblastoma, a very fast-growing cancer. The doctor came in. I remember this clear as day. And basically said that he isn't the same man that you know. He had a stroke that was caused by brain cancer. They eliminated the immediate problem where he would have probably died that day. Um, but he wasn't himself. And we asked what the journey was going to be like over the next period of time. Would he get better? And he, the doctor said he'll get a little bit better, but then he'll see a decline. I think the first time I saw him after the whole incident, I just realized how, how much it changed. You know, for those that have family members that have been through a stroke, it's, it's really life-changing. They go from being somebody you know and you recognize and they recognize and know you to suddenly somebody who's kind of foreign and distant and may or may not be able to keep their focus on you, may or may not actually be able to recognize you, um, even though you spent your entire life with them. Um, and that was very jarring. After that, I, I was very emotional. Um, it was very hard for me that, um, that uh, when that occurred. And they told us he would, he would get better, he would plateau, and he would go, down, go downhill, and that's exactly what he did. And they told us that he would have two to four months to live. And I just, I just broke down. To see one of the pillars in your life, like almost like a, a partner in a way, kind of disappear from your life is, is horrific. When we come back, the Kading family spends their final precious moments with Ed. Hey, it's Mike. Let's beat the banks at their own game. Traditional banks don't have great interest rates, but they charge businesses like Norhart higher rates, and they keep all the profits. Why don't we cut out the middleman and connect directly, thus leaving more for both of us? Invest with us and earn fantastic interest rates. To learn more, visit norhart.com. That's N-O-R-H-A-R-T.com and click on invest. So if you're looking to grow your returns, then why not join Norhart Invest today and get more than you ever could at a bank? 
This is an offering by Norhart Invest. Investments can only be made through the Norhart Invest website. For more information, including the offering circular, please visit norhart.com forward slash invest. Over the next few months, um, my dad did get a little bit better. He was never fully with it. He was never entirely there. You couldn't have a very meaningful conversation. But there were moments of um, kind of fun uh, we uh, we took him in the car at one point and drove him past the buildings that he had built. And I said, Dad, did you know that you built this? He was like, whoa, I did that? Right? It was just like this almost brought him back almost to a kid-like wonder. He had no memory of that stuff or what he had done. Took him out to our house. He couldn't remember the house uh, because he was in a, a care facility uh, after he came out of the hospital. So I take him out to my house. He couldn't remember the house, but he could remember the house number. He could remember his social security number. He was so, his brain was so in tune with numbers. And it's quite ironic that cancer would attack his greatest asset, which was his brain. And yet he was fixated on electrical outlets. He would point to them, and I knew he was upset because this electrical outlet in this facility was not right. There were some like weird memories he knew. He would go measure the outlets in his hospital room because they were apparently the wrong height, not according to code. And um, we figured out that it wasn't right. It was, it was an add-on or something, and it was not at the right height. And he knew that, and he was so determined that it had to be moved. <laughs> so his brain was still working in that way, but to have meaningful conversation, it was, it was not. But over time, he started to diminish. There was so much sadness in knowing that we had limited time with him and limited communication. Because he, his, his speech was garbled, so I, I, I didn't always know what he was saying, um, and I didn't. I, it was hard to have any um, deep conversations with him about what was going on, and so while I was. I was glad I could physically be with there with him. I was with him every day. Um, it was a, it was very difficult because I, I didn't know how many more days it would be, and and it was frustrating. I think it was frustrated, frustrating for him because he couldn't move. He was affected on one side. He couldn't move like he used to. He couldn't communicate like he used to. I don't know what the capacity of his brain was at that. Uh, he, his short-term memory was gone. And, um, and my, uh, my wife was with him in his final moments when he took his last breath. Brenda had been there that morning. This is Alyssa, Mike's wife. Um, it, so it was a Monday. And over the weekend, the doctors had told us they expected he would pass within the week. So they didn't know exactly when they thought it, you know, could, they thought he had at least a couple days. 
So Brenda had been there that morning on Monday. And then she had her friend uh, Muriel come sit with Ed while she was out running some errands. Um, so Muriel was there. I think she was reading, you know, some verses from the Bible, Psalms or whatnot. And I had been at work that morning finishing up some last minute things. And then I just kind of felt this urge, like, I think I should go, I think I should go sit with Ed. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it just came out of nowhere and I just listened to it. And so I, I went over to sit with him probably a little bit before noon, 11, 11, 11.30, something like that. Um, and we were just sitting there. Mar Muriel was reading stuff. Um, a couple of the nurses, you know, came in to check, and there was this one nurse who had been really, really good, really good to Brenda, really good to Ed. Um, and she was just talking about how she was, um, she was talking about how she was sad that she hadn't, known Ed, you know, in his true form, you know, before, before the stroke, before the tumor, um, and all of that. So, um, so I just told her some, some more about him, um, just how, how kind he was, how, how smart he was, how fast he talked. Oh my goodness. Uh, he was a real fast talker. We always used to say that like, he was just trying to f talk as fast as his brain was thinking, which was very, very fast. Um, and so I was just talking about him. Um, and then the nurse left the room and within a couple minutes, I kind of just noticed a, a change in him. You know, at this point, he, you know, he hadn't been eating or drinking for days. He was, you know, not talking, responsive, whatever. But I kind of noticed just a change in his positioning and his breathing. Um, so um, I just got up and I could kind of tell that he was about to go. So I just... Held his hand and watched him go. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it's, it's a hard thing to, you know, watch someone go like that. But I'm glad, you know, someone was there. You know, someone from his family was there. Even though, you know, I wasn't his biological daughter, he um, he always treated me like I was, you know. Um, I think so often with in-laws, you feel like you're the outsider, or like you're just trying to get in with the family or whatever. But he never made me feel like an outsider. Um, he took me right in. And even like when when he was sick, um, they would ask him questions. He did regain, you know, the ability to talk. But, you know, his logic wasn't totally there and his memory was fuzzy and whatnot. 
But I remember one of the first questions they they asked him was, well, how many kids do you have? And he said, three. So, <laughs> Mike and Luke and me, essentially. So It was an unfortunate conclusion. Because here he had um, you know, worked all of his life. And for him, retirement was sort of this exciting final chapter. He put all this energy in, built up a good life for himself. And the thing that he was really excited about, taking a step back, relaxing, watching his, his son, myself, take over the business, he lost. And I think one thing he wanted more than almost anything else was to, uh, was to see his grandkids. You know, he uh, would always be pushing myself and Alyssa to have, to have kids. And uh, oh, he would have so loved to see Claire and Emma. He would have spoiled them rotten. <laughs> Brought him a lot of Dairy Queen. But he never got that chance. So I'm sad sad for him that he didn't get that last chapter, the last thing that he wanted out of life. When we come back, we'll hear from Ed's family and friends about the legacy that he left behind and the difficulty Mike and Alyssa would face when trying to fill his unfillable shoes. Hey, it's Mike. Passive income is one of this year's hottest buzzwords, but what is it? Well, passive income is when the elite make money and the rest of us sleep. Here at Norhart, we decided to open up this opportunity to everyone by giving you the chance to invest with us and earn fantastic interest rates without doing a thing. To learn more, visit norhart.com. That's N-O-R-H-A-R-T.com and click on invest. So if you're looking to grow your returns, then why not join Norhart Invest today and see what you can build towards. This is an offering by Norhart Invest. Investments can only be made through the Norhart Invest website. For more information, including the offering circular, please visit norhart.com forward slash invest. Ed Kading was the kind of man who made an impression wherever he went. At work, at church, in his community, he made an impact on numerous lives. Ed was my boss. Um, but he was, he turned into much more than my boss. This is Tori, Ed's right-hand man on the construction site and currently Norhart's maintenance manager. I would say that he would, was more so a mentor of mine. Work was important to him, um, but um, Ed and I had a, a, a mutual understanding that, that family and faith um, were were bigger than than, than the, the work situation. He really had an impact on my life, um, and and uh, yeah, I'll be just for, forever forever grateful for that. Um, so he more he he taught me on the job all all the uh, hands-on skills. Um, 
and uh, he would he was just uh, a natural leader very often uh, going to the Dairy Queen for lunch during the workday and uh, I'd, I'd, I'd get the, the cheapest meal there and he'd uh, he'd usually get his his pineapple ice cream blizzard and uh, and we'd we'd chat about work um, but we'd also chat about uh, family and my 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 future as well I would not be married to who I, who I am married to right now and I would not have a family that I have right now um, because there was um, there was this incident at at, at church again um, where my now father-in-law and mother-in-law um, were a part of this church group and uh, and my father-in-law spoke up and and was was asking for for prayer for uh, for somebody um, so, some some guy that 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 his daughter could could uh, could date and uh, so Ed piped up and set up a blind date between my me and my now my now wife and uh, so his leadership his direction his guidance uh, really um, um, put me on the direction of um, my life and uh, it, it was more 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 than a, just a job it was work and life and faith and all of that um, all that together I remember one day I forget how it came up um, we were out to eat or something and I said something about like oh it'd be fun to go like see a real castle someday and the next day he comes bounding into the office and he prints off all these pictures of castles in Europe and he's like we should go let's do it and I was like Ed that's crazy he goes no let's do it let's go this summer and we did you know like you know he had a he was a planner but he also had that like kind of adventurous spirit for sure when we had foreign exchange students we always tried to take them to disney world um at christmas time um, and so for a number of years we we'd have a foreign exchange student with us and we'd drive to florida to go to disney world and that continued after we didn't have foreign exchange students too and so um, we would often take trips to to disney world and which is I don't know if that's good or bad. Now my son works for Disney as a result of that. He became so infatuated with with Disney that that's that's what he wanted to do. So I mean, we did trips. You know, we did. You know, we we traveled around a lot, saw a lot of the United States. So that was a good bonding thing for us. Like Mike, Ed instilled a drive and determination to achieve greatness in his youngest son, and it left a lasting impact. When I was younger, I would just see my dad kind of lay out plans for a building, and you know, and he'd be like, "This is what's going to eventually happen." He'd show me all the the design, the architectural drawings that showed, you know, the, where where the slab goes, where the where the studs in the building go, and and like through the course of the year, because it took us about a year time to build up a building, um, you know, we would see that kind of come to life, and my dad would 
you know, take me and, and show me all the, the things, you know, how the progress of the building. Of course, he's very proud of it, of creating this, this thing and seeing how far it's come along. Um, and, I, and I see that entire process. And then in the summertime, when I'd actually have some time to go and, and help him out, I'd actually see the, the completion of that process. You know, the final, the final cabinets going in and the carpeting getting laid and the, um, all the, the uh, appliances getting put into the, into the, each of the units. And, you know, and I see a, a complete building. And, and I think when I saw that, I realized that, you know, you can just do something. Like my dad can do it. Um, why can't I? We kind of set up this plan where we would, you know, he'd come out because uh, at the time I was uh, then living in California and he would come out and my mom would come out um, maybe twice a year. And it was we kind of got this thing set up. I was just kind of getting finally some firm footing at my job because before that I was all stressed out about <laughs> things that were going on. I just wanted to make sure I was doing a good job. Um, and, uh, and my dad and my mom would come out uh, in the spring and in the fall. And they had just come out in the spring. I think I, I think it got delayed a little bit to like late spring, early summer. Um, and you know, the last thing that I got to say, my dad, and kind of like his normal state, uh, I got to go to the, the main building at the company I work for, and kind of got to show him the picture that they had in the front office, the, the, the picture that I was in in the front office with a whole bunch of other uh, employees, and say, look, like I'm 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 here, like I actually kind of made it. It was a very like I felt very proud of that moment to kind of show my dad this picture that was hanging there in the lobby. And, um, yeah, and, and I wished him, you know, I said goodbye and, and I drove off, went to the airport. And that was the last time I really got to talk to my dad or, or see my dad in person, kind of in his normal state. While Ed's legacy would live on in the lives that he touched, his absence was felt most acutely at Norhart. We all of a sudden were like, oh, we, we don't know how to run payroll. Like there were still a lot of things his dad was doing that like, we had to figure out very quickly. We couldn't ask Ed because he didn't have the, you know, mental capacity anymore to help. So, you know, we found out he had brain cancer because he had a massive stroke out of nowhere. And while they were doing an emergency surgery, they found a tumor in there. Um, so it's not like we could just ask him questions. Um, we really had just had to figure it all out on our own. And it was kind of it was chaos and it was definite survival mode. We were not thriving by any stretch. Um, and it was, what do we do? We have this business. What are we going to do? How are we going to keep going? Mike and Alyssa were working with the business at that point, And so they stepped in and um, I don't know what I would have done if I wouldn't have had them. At the time, we also had a large project in a new city. We were trying to, get approved, which was not going well. Um, but I think the only reason they took us seriously is because we had Ed and we had his 40 years of experience. Well, without Ed, they saw Mike and I as these two little, what were we, 27 year old kids that like we had done projects before, but you know, our, our youth and whatever kind of was working against us at that point. Um, so I think it was a lot of just sheer hard work and willpower to like figure things out. Um, not to say we did everything in the best way. We just were trying to survive, I guess. Um, they just jumped in and did, they had already been working with, with, uh, with us in the business. And so they were in the office every day with Ed 
And so they had taken over certain parts of the business already. So they were doing certain aspects of it. But now one day on Friday, Ed's doing his part. And on Monday, Ed can't do his part and Mike and Alyssa have to do his part too. Now, that's pretty difficult for 20 something individuals to go and do that, but they jumped in and they did it. But I can't, you know, it was extremely stressful for all of us and I can't imagine the stress it would have been or it was for them. I mean, what a heavy load to keep moving on. And, um, you know, when he was, uh, you know, during that six months, we had to finish a building and then start the next project that was on. And, and Mike and Alyssa had to do that. They did it without Ed. But, you know, they knew some of it. They didn't know everything. So it was a, it was a huge learning curve. And, and I couldn't do anything, not that I was as involved in, in that piece of it, but um, I had no capacity to do anything. In um, his interview uh, a couple weeks ago, Mike called you the mother of the company. That's interesting. I've never, um, never heard him say that. <laughs> I guess you can look at that. I can look at that and think, well, I was there when the company was birthed. <laughs> you know, Ed and I did this together. It was his idea and his push and his motivation, but I kind of went alongside of him to do what I could. And I, I look at that and I think, well, when you're building a company, when you're building a building, you have to have a firm foundation. And your foundation has to be solid. You can't build on any, any sinking sand because it's going to go downhill. And so we built our buildings with concrete as, as normal. And you, you build that foundation, which you don't see when the building is done. But you know there's a firm foundation there. And I think it's the same way for the company now. We started way back when. I think we built a firm foundation for the company that is today. If we had built on sinking sand, Norhart wouldn't exist. And, uh, and so I think if you want to say I'm the mother of the company, I helped build that foundation of a company, not only the buildings, but a company. And I wish, I wish that Ed were here to see this, to see what he started, that what it has turned into, I think he would, uh, I wish he would get the recognition instead of me being the mom of the company, he's really the dad of the company. Next time on Zero to Unicorn. With his father now gone and his legacy fully cemented, Mike attempts to step into the impossible, which is to fill his shoes and ensure the business that his father founded continues to thrive in his absence. No, my dad was the CEO of the company up until his stroke. After his stroke happened, I became the effective CEO 
Um, I don't think I officially gave myself the title of that for a while later because I didn't feel like I really earned it yet. But um, but yeah, I was running the company fully once my dad had a stroke. 